I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. Matt is in deep in the throes of marriage preparation. Hmm. And so we have sitting in, as always, Mr. Jude Asswaco. Jude Ass! He and I are also in the throes of preparation. Mm-hmm. At the time that you listen to this podcast, this very completely unprepared podcast, mm-hmm. we will be shooting a series that I will talk about when I'm allowed to talk about it. Right, which is not right now. Which is not right now, so it'll be a mystery, so use your imagination, because that's what creativeness is all about, right? Using your imagination. Mm-hmm. So, um... Like I stated, this is going to be what we like to call audio jazz, man. Mm. We're just going to flip, like, free flow and talk. But, you know, I think it might have been, was it the first podcast that you were on that we did, So You Want to Be a Filmmaker? Yeah. I don't know if it was the first one, but it was definitely up there. Well, so I thought that this could be, because we've had a long day. We had a long week. Maybe we've had a long life, to be honest with you. (laughs) Definitely. You definitely have. (laughs) Yeah. Couple lives actually. Yeah, um, I live closer to the sun. You do. You're aging faster. Judy's actually 25, but look his photo up online. Unlike and, uh, that'll tell you everything you need to know about wanting to work in the film industry. This scotch is uh, 12 years yes, old. Yes, I think that we have to. Uh, <laughs> kind of like <laughs> we got to take a moment to thank Mr. Sophilia for sending thank this you, wonderful scotch, uh, which is also uh, hails from Scotland. Oh, did you know that? Hi. Yes, well, you great. learn something every day. That's freaking great. Oh, yes, that was a great scotch. <laughs> it's fucking wonderful. Um, it did not get here on Valentine's Day. I can't even speak, yeah. much to her dismay. But uh, it doesn't matter because it's still tasty. So that's all, that ma- that's all that matters. And at the end of a long preparation day, it makes it all worthwhile. But I thought, so since we are on the eve of filming, Mm-hmm. When you guys listen to this, we'll be probably shooting. Yeah. Um, I thought this might be like a nice sort of spiritual sequel to So You Want to Be a Filmmaker. Because I'm certainly asking myself that question on a daily basis sometimes. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I think our our first episode, we we did a lot of sort of um, global broad strokes, some of the ins and outs of being in the industry. And certainly your 30 plus career. How many years is it now? When was your what was your first film I mean, role in of any sorts? My first film role of any sorts. I think uh, my paid first paid film role was uh, we, get, 19, we get paid for this. <laughs> Nineteen ninety three. It was uh, which is twenty seven years ago, something like that. I don't know. I can't keep track. Uh, twenty six. I think. Yeah, that uh, was going on twenty seven. Yeah, so that was uh, Andersonville. Huge okay. set. They built a. Uh, they took Georgia. It was shot in Georgia, America's Georgia. They took where we are at currently. Yeah, they took giant forty uh, foot pine trees, carved them like they did in the real fort. So this was a Civil War movie about a real Civil War fort. That's hard to say when you're drinking scotch. Um, and they took these pine trees. Was it at night? Was <laughs> yeah. it a fortnight? <laughs> it was a fortnight. Bring back the fortnight. That's a whole other discussion. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, huge set, giant budget for its time. Um, Jane Fonda and, uh, what's his name? Ted Turner produced it. John Frankenheimer, legendary director, uh, directed it. Oh, nice. And it had, uh, Biff from Back to the Future in it. It had, um, 
God. It had uh, William H. Macy was in it, and then a couple of soap opera people and a bunch of cameos. He's got, he had to get his kid through college somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We saw how that worked out for him. So, so from 1993 to 27 years later, oh. I think it's time we'd look back. Oh, God. And we really ask ourselves as we've worked you know, this whole week to prepare for tomorrow's shoot day. Jude, mm. is it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, here's the thing. People like us are in this business and, uh, you know, you, you can't see yourself doing anything else. My wife asked me this question all the time. She's like, what are you going to do when the film dries up? And I said, I don't know. I'm going to still make films. I'll, I'll shoot them on my iPhone in Thailand, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I can't, I'm not built for anything else. And it's a certain lifestyle and it's torturous and it's probably bad for your health and it's certainly bad for relationships. But it's it's rewarding too. And for somebody who's built like us, I would say, it's 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 a necessity. So, Yeah, I, I thought about this the other day. So I've been doing this now going on 12 – this will be my 12th year. Mm-hmm. And – I was trying to think. Like this is by far the longest career I've ever done. Yeah. You know when I when I was in my twenties, I worked in like retail management for you know seven years, and so for a good chunk of my film career, it was still like the you know it was so fresh and it, relative to that, right? Yeah. But like, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. It's funny that you, it's like when you get used to this sort of circus esque lifestyle. Yeah. You know, like today, this is a great example, and, and part of the reason why I bring this up. So this has been, you know, the all shoots are stressful for different reasons, right? Um, some shoots you get uh, every shoot has that has that uh, department that feels like it's snake bitten, you know. We've had a couple <laughs> of those on this, just from staffing issues and timing issues and mm. whatever it may be. But I I remember today there was a moment when I was sort of seeing everyone, like all of these different departments are coming in and setting up and pre- pre- preparing, and the gear is coming in and it's being staged and you're seeing things go up and and there was that moment when it all felt really worth it like even though mm-hmm. you know sometimes the stress gets to you sometimes there's personality conflicts sometimes there's you know like i said issues that you've got to sort of the fire drills that you got to solve on your quote-unquote days off mm-hmm. which i haven't had in 12 years basically <laughs> uh, except for when i'm unemployed yeah. and um there's just this feeling that's not quite like anything else that you're going to get from like a nine to five job like you just don't have it. Even when I was in house at a studio, yeah. you know, where I sort of had more or less set hours, hmm. um, it still is not the same feeling as walking the day before you shoot, seeing everything get into place, and knowing that come hell or high water, you're filming something tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the great great Roger Corman once told me. I had a thing for Roger Corman. I actually recently tweeted about this. Um, crush. Yeah. He's awesome, man. Circle yes or no? <laughs> I hope he circles yes. <laughs> a senior, not junior. Junior can do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> but not with me. Um, anyway, yeah, so we were going to do this thing. We are going to shoot this movie in Thailand. It was before I had directed my features that I have under my belt now. And Roger is known for letting – The Incantation. The Incantation. Check and it Shark out. Island and Shark Island. Shark Island, yep. And maybe a new project. Yeah, yeah. In the, waiting in the wings. Hope so. So Roger hit me up. We were in Thailand and he said, hey, uh, I want to shoot here. Pitch me an idea, creature feature. Here's my specs. Here's what I need. You know, creature's got to show up every 17 minutes. We got to, we, we can't see it till the third act. 
There's got to be a love interest. There's got to be blah, blah, right? So I was like, cool. So I put this story together and six months go by and he's, we scouted. We did the whole thing and I went to LA and blah, blah, blah. And finally Roger said to me, you know, I can make that for half the price in Mexico. <laughs> that's what he said. And I said, Roger, that's cool. But for six months we've been talking about Thailand and Thailand, you know, there's a, there's a price for things and that can't change because it's not Mexico. Like it is what it is. So we never made it. Um, but <laughs> that's a long way to say the first – in those meetings he told me and I use this all the time. He says, hey, Jude, you know, if you get the first day in the can, then your shoot's going to – it's going to happen. You're, you're going to make it through the shoot. Um, right. And that's kind of where we're at now. We're on the eve of our first day of shooting. Um, but it's all the preparation that goes into it. And yeah, things fall through and things get rearranged and it's stressful. But if you can get to that first day and you get it in the can, that means you pretty much got the digital can nowadays. That means right. you have everything in place to at least solve these problems as they go. And even, you know, stuff happens. I mean, weather happens, actors happen. Things I've been on shoots where you know you just got to change the entire whole thing. You might have to rewrite certain things. I remember on this during this prep, there was a moment where I said, "If we could just once we just close this camera gear, it'd be great." <laughs> and then fifty more fucking things came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But like you know, there's something that you when when I was coming up that you said to me that you've repeated. And it's something that's always stuck in my craw. Is like. Film is linear, so film it's is like linear. you check a box. Like, okay, today is the last. Today is the the prep day before the first day of shoot. Yep, there will never be another today. Exactly. And then tomorrow will be the first day of shooting, and there will be another. And yep. there will never be another first day of shooting. Exactly. And all the way down the line, it's okay, linear. We got the camera list done. Yep, yep exactly. We've got uh, sound. Exactly. Allegedly, you got cast here. You got cast. They're mm -hmm. in. Yeah, they're here. They're, they're ready the, to go. They're in town. Yeah, exactly. That's the best thing about film is that it's linear and it progressively gets easier because you're checking things off off the list as you go. So if that list has 150,000 things, every time you check off a thousand of them, you're that much closer to your goal. Yeah, and you know it's funny because I was, um, I've had. This is this is first world lucky problems, but I've had a very busy year and a half. Yeah, you know, and, and and for those of you who who are listening, who work in film, and for those of you who listen, who maybe just admire film, or maybe you want to work in film, or you're getting started in working film, the reality of it is, is there's very few consistent. There's not the the. The idea of having consistent work is very uh, fleeting. Yeah, and you have to appreciate when you have it, and mm -hmm. you got to save up when you have it, and you got to put away for a rainy day. So, uh, I've been very fortunate in my film career. The first five years or so, I was pretty poor. I was really poor. <laughs> you know, the first year I had like a day job. You know, I was doing like extra work and yep. you know short videos and stuff. And I count that as a year because that was really mu very much education. I was on sets, and you know. Um, but then the next three or four years were brutally poor. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was telling a story to the first AD of when I was a second AD. I uh, would get paid $50 a day on this movie called, I think it's called Mercury Plains now. Nice. Starring Scott Eastwood. Oh. And the closest bank was in El Paso. We were shooting in Van Horn. So I had to drive <laughs> an hour and a half each way to go to the bank to put my $50 a day check <laughs> in the bank, which I probably ate half of that just in the gas, right? Probably, yeah. But I had to cash it somehow, right? Mm. So, 
But from then, I got to work on a show for Cartoon Network, The Annoying Orange, Mm -hmm. which led to me working for The Collective slash CDS slash Studio 71, (laughs) changes its name every three years. And uh, I was very fortunate to be have gainful employment for like six years. Mm -hmm. And then we separated, as (laughs) all toxic bad relationships must do. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, and then again, it was like back, back in freelance and like, yeah. I've been in house for a long time and, you know, you and I work together all the time, but yeah. now I've got to go get, you know, employment from someone else. Yeah. And, um, and it was really tough. So long story long, mm-hmm. this last year and a half, I've kind of come out from out underneath that and I've had a really good busy year. I've done uh, you know, long series like Light as a Feather. I've done uh, shorts like the Scarecrow thing that... May or may not ever see the light of day. I've done um, you know, low, low, low budget indies like Acceleration, which is currently out now. Uh, watch it. If you want, watch Trader first. Maybe read the reviews first and then make the decision. <laughs> but um, I'm tired, man. Yeah. <laughs> like I've had a long run. And for those of you, uh, can I talk about that last film I just did? Yeah. I mean, I guess I can. Uh, I, d- I did a wireless, oh. which is coming out. Quick- I mean, they did press for it. So whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I did this show called Wireless. And that was a very exhausting exhausting show that was all of last fall through the through the end of the year so i'm, I'm pretty beat man it's mm-hmm. been it's a good problem to have but i'm pretty pretty exhausted you know i was telling mr sophia that i needed some time off after these this project and, and sort of a short project right after it same teams and she was like you know i just wanted like two months to do like nothing yeah do you know and she was like i don't think you can stay still that long yeah and she's probably right yeah. You know, it's probably what I think in my mind is two months is probably two weeks before I start getting really antsy and wanting to work on another one. And no matter how often – and look, the, 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 not every project is super hard. I mean they're all hard, but n- not all of them are, are bummers. You know, Not all of them are yeah. negative experiences. A lot of them are very positive experiences. And even if you have negative experiences on them, there's always, you know, there's always other positive ones that make up for it, you know? But um, I think, I think you kind of brought something up that I think is appropriate, which is that um, is that for people like you and me, like there's the it's it's like you're bitten by the bug. Yeah. You know. So when we ask the question like, do you want to be a filmmaker? Sometimes the answer is you don't have a choice. That's true. You know, if it's in your blood, it's in your blood, and yeah. God bless you, man. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. You know, strap in and, and hang on for the ride. I feel like it's a very specific kind of person, and 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 you'll know right away. Like I feel like batshit crazy. Yeah, probably best way to describe it. But I feel like um, everyone has this idea of what they think film work is, and everyone thinks that they can shoot right to the top because of these alleged quote unquote overnight successes, whether it be you know DPs or directors or actors that are in the spotlight. Um, and they don't realize that it took them 30-plus years to get to where they're at in most cases. But um, so, uh, but I think right away, I think the majority of people aren't built for this industry just because it's not normal at all. It's it, crazy hours and relationships are hard and all kinds of stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean it's just not – not for everyone, but but uh, but on the flip side of that token, I feel like people that do it can't do anything else. They immediately know that this is for me. They're, they begrudging, begrudgingly will take lower pay in some cases. They'll be without seeing their family or loved ones or whatever, but 
they they just can't satiate that fire inside them to to create art. Right? But you, you uh, you're like a big sort of classic literature. You know, like yeah. uh, like um, you know, uh, Sherlock Holmes, right? Like yeah. You know, when in the books, when he didn't have a case, he'd sit around and yeah. go mad and do cocaine. Oh yeah, and for like sure. Be a terror, right? Like he needed yeah. that stimulation, and I feel like Definitely. that very much is the case. Yeah, for sure. Like you know, like today. We land at a location and there's like trucking issues and yeah. like all kinds of, and you just have to sort of jump into battle and like yeah. as our as our esteemed friend Dan would say like start throwing knife hands like this <laughs> this is and then as I was doing it, I was like thinking about Dan I was like this is how I do it and this this and go do this and go move this and this needs to go here and it's like you don't even have time no you don't have time to address it in in a way that for every other industry yeah would be you know would be civil right like right. you know if we even when I worked at, at the collective, yeah, um, I remember uh, my bot, my old boss Gary Binko was like, "Dude, you're like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> like this is not how this works in this more corporate. Yeah. Even though it's film, like this sort of film corporate environment. Yeah, because I was just used to being on set where it's like, yeah, I don't have time. What, what you know, like I, I'm stealing all your phrases back to you. But it's like <laughs> I don't have time to tell you to put that yeah. flag on the hill to tell you why. Right. I just need you to do it. There's bullets <laughs> whizzing by my head. Exactly." Yeah, that's the thing, man. But uh, the the other the other part of that is too, like, you know, you were saying saying taking a couple of months off, and that's hard too because our business. I mean, it took me three decades almost to get to a point where I'm relatively stable, where I know I'm going to have work. But even that, who knows, man? You know, it's just one of those industries where there's a lot of young people coming in. The technology is changing. There's a lot of clicks that happen and these little groups. And not the clicks uh, from one place to the next. <laughs> Those are different clicks. <laughs> and and these, these things are constantly evolving. And if you go away, for example, six months in Thailand, you know, this is a very competitive in- industry. It always has been. And no one's going to come chasing you. No one's going to come say, hey, man, what script are you working on? No one cares because they've got 15 scripts in their inbox right now from people who are trying to get it right now. One of the um, – I-, I said this to you the other day, but like when I was first getting involved with film, of course, being from Austin and being from Texas, you know, Robert Rodriguez was a big inspiration for me. And, and I would watch his 10-minute film schools, which are actually fairly accurate. Yeah. I mean even now looking back, I'm like <laughs> – kind of boils it down to the simplicity of it like <laughs> yeah. you need to put the work in yeah, yeah but as far as the information is concerned it's pretty right. accurate but i think in his very first one he says um hollywood is full of sharks so get yourself one that works for you yeah and and it's accurate because no one is going to chase you there's a lot of people out there and yeah you have to have that um you have to have that person who can open doors yeah for sure and it's uh you know, it's a balance because, you know, we forget that we have – there's a life outside of film even though it's ingrained in everything we do. But, you know, none of us are getting younger. <laughs> Certainly some of us are closer to the sun. <laughs> and and uh, you realize – you know, one thing I told, I've told you and I've told Dan and several other people, when you have a – particular set of skills no matter what that is whether you're you know an actor an ad a line producer a director whatever that particular set of dp set of skills is you can you can work for people your entire life there's no shortage of people saying hey i need that particular set of skills that you've honed in on the problem is 
you know, what about what you want to do? What about those movies that you want to make? What about those those that 15 ideas for scripts you have in your head that you've been wanting to make? So, to me, for me, I'm on I'm on the sort of sunset of my producing career where like I've done all that, man. I've done 100 projects. I've I've brought in every person that I've come in contact with to I brought their dream to fruition. I've I've made their movies. I came in under budget under schedule. I'm praised by everybody blah blah blah. It doesn't matter though because yeah, sure I got paid well and I survived for almost 3 decades and I have family and two kids that I'm taking care of. That's all great. But for myself. Yeah, what have you done? Yeah. What have I done for myself? And that's what that's what made me make the incantation because I was just at that point where I was like no one's ever even you know we talk about Gary, Gary Binko and there was a point where um, he they were you guys were frantically looking for a director and you know you said well, why don't you give Jude a chance he's great and then Gary looked at me and goes no man I need a filmmaker and I was like yeah and I was like motherfucker <laughs> I put thirty years in making films I'm yeah, a filmmaker right. but because but in in fairness to him I, in his eyes I'm not a filmmaker I'm the guy that gets films made. But I'm not yeah. a quote unquote filmmaker. You're not maker. a creative. You're not a director. Exactly. There's a, there's a, and there's a hard glass ceiling between exactly. those of us who put the nuts and bolts together. Yeah. And and people thinking that those people aren't creative. Exactly. You know what? It's funny because, um, you know, like with Gary, you know, when I first started working with Gary, it was like annoying orange. She was doing this kid show based on a YouTube thing, and then. Um, I came in right at the tail end of the editing of VHS2. I didn't have anything to do with it, but I was in the office mm-hmm. with George and Roxanne, who's gone on, who Roxanne and Benjamin, who's who produced the first two VHSs and who's gone on to direct episodes of um, uh, what's the show on Go- not Goosebumps, what's the show on uh, Creep Show? Mm-hmm. And she's done a couple movies. Like you know, she was someone who who'd come off of Gary's desk mm-hmm. and had put the VHS series together, and then. She had left shortly thereafter. So when I first started working there, it was like, okay, do some deliverable stuff. Yeah. You know, I was like doing Photoshop art for like all these bloody disgusting selects, you know, and like yeah. helping them prep, you know, uh, whatever they're re-releasing and the whatever, you know, like right. what was it? Like I remember I was doing like banner, like Photoshop banners for like Alice <laughs> and like, uh, I don't know, it wasn't Yellow Brick Road. I don't know. There's all these bloody disgusting selects that they had to option from different from around the world, right? Yeah. And then um, and then I got an opportunity with like a VHS3, which VHS Viral, to step in and, and uh, because the producer didn't have physical production experience. And really no one there had physical production experience. Yeah. And so I got to step in. I had to step in, really. <laughs> and um, don't blame me. I had nothing to do with the creative. And, and help the logistics of just pulling together these five different filmmakers mm-hmm. to put this project together. Because the glue from the first two had gone. Roxanne had left by this point. So, um, and then came Siren, which is funny because with Siren, you were mentioning the sort of the Roger Corman, mm-hmm. uh, sort of the, the beats of a Roger Corman film, right? I remember Chiller, which originally released Siren, gave us like notes that like there has to be a kill every 10 pages. Mm-hmm. There has to be. I mean, they had a formula. Oh, yeah. And, a formula. And, and me and, uh, and Angelique did a lot of work. That will never be credited. Yeah, of course. To you know, put some in, put some of that influence. And look, in, in fairness, once the writers came in and Greg came in and everyone came in, they kind of redid their own thing anyway. Yeah. But like, um, 
up to this point, the point I'm trying to make is that Gary was just looking at me in the same way, yeah. right? You're like a production manager guy. Yeah. Like you're you're an AD. Yeah. Then he looked at me more like an AD, which is yeah. funny because I've always felt like that was very much secondary to everything else I do. Yeah. But then um, uh, there was an opportunity to do a Delta Airlines commercial. <laughs> they wanted to do something with you two people and they, they couldn't quite figure out what it was. And I think I want to – I don't remember if it was like – if I took the initiative to say, I'll write something, or if it was Effie Brown that kind of pushed me, who was the head of production at the time. Mm-hmm. But I wrote this sort of little treatment. And Delta Airlines actually really liked it. And mm-hmm. then it went in a weird other direction, <laughs> as things do. And then, yeah. uh, coincidentally, I got on a Delta Airlines flight, and I saw a commercial. Their, you know, their in-flight, their in-flight uh, instructions yep. that had YouTube people that was very, very sim- familiar are very, very similar to the <laughs> treatment that I had written for them, almost, almost beat by beat. Oh, man. It's hilarious. And they produced it with someone else. But it was in that moment that Gary started to get an inkling of like, okay, maybe this guy has a little bit of creativity. Yeah. Maybe. But but that was two or three years in, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and Gary's an odd bird because you got to really be – got to gain his trust being yeah, in there. And, for sure. Um, you know, I, I've told you many times, and this is just not smoked, like I, I've i worked with a lot of directors and almost none are as good as you. <laughs> Thanks. And yet, like, I've seen people get opportunities, like big money opportunities. Yeah. You know, like I've done some budgets recently where I'm looking at what these directors, these fresh, these very young filmmakers, some fresh out of film school, some yeah. with only a couple of shorts under their belt, maybe a commercial or two. And they're getting paid these absurd amounts of money and good on them. Yeah, right. You know. You know, no, I'm not throwing shade, but it's just like I know what the potential that you have as a filmmaker. Right. I've seen it. Yeah, thanks. And uh, and it's and like you said, it's very hard to like break to that next level. Yeah, and and I think uh, to that point, I would encourage people to you know make your make your bread and butter doing what you need to do to survive, but also don't ignore what it is that you want to do, whatever that is, and push yourself, promote yourself. Man, we're living in 2020. It's crazy. You can have all the social media you want. You can you can brand yourself. There's people to help you with that. Um, so uh, do that. Brand yourself. Write that script or you know, start making that real or do whatever you have to do, whether that's you're an actor, DP, director, whatever you want, because no one – it's like – I've done so many positions, but you have to think about it. So have I. <laughs> That's what Ophelia said. Boom, roasted. <laughs> roasted. Uh, so, in other words, put 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 yourself on that track because I'm telling you from experience, a long time will go by where you you keep putting that on the back burner, and sometimes you got to make the the hard decisions. Like like I've made that hard decision to be a director to transfer f- from being a producer to director many times. The first time I did it was in Thailand. I had a script I wrote. I got all these funders in place, but I didn't know shit about shit about funding. And it was basically like a house of cards. And when one fell out, they all fell fell out together. But what happened was uh, I, I, I pushed myself as a director and I got everybody lined up and then the funding fell through and then I was on the hook and then I was uh, – you know, an indentured servant for a long time to right. pay which, that back. Which at least led you to having a life in Thailand. Yeah, exactly. It did. And then and then I went and then again, incantation, 
wrote it, directed it. Shark Island got hired to do that. So and a little, I don't know if we've mentioned. We might have mentioned this in the other the other um, episodes that we've done with um, with the incantation. Part of what brought that apart, part of what brought that opportunity was your work on Siren. Oh yeah, you oh, know because hundred percent. You know we worked on Siren together. You were the line producer on the ground. You were boots on the ground. Yeah. And one of the locations, well, no, it was a it was a PA, right? Like a PA. He was an intern. Yeah. yeah it was an intern connected you with the location, mm-hmm. and through that location, you made this connection, mm-hmm. and through this connection, you got this badass castle in France. <laughs> exactly. Which led you to take the leap. And and how many people get that? And never take that leap. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, so exactly. So my advice is take that leap. And sometimes you're going to fall flat on your face like I did. Like I, I'm telling you, I lost $70,000 taking a chance on myself that first time. Um, incantation, you know, we lost probably lost money on that. But, it, but for my career as director, it's put me in a huge place. Yeah, It's absolutely. put me in circles I would never have gotten in. It's, and, and, you, and now you have under your belt – a film that you directed. Yeah. You're not just a person talking about it. You know, we've right. had, um, you know, we've had some really cool guests on this show. We have like David Venable, who is, um, has impeccable choices in his first and middle name. And, <laughs> and also, uh, is, you know, directed his, uh, student thesis. He's a, a budgeting film director. Like he's moving to Los Angeles soon. He's, he's taking a shot, right? Like yeah. he was a guy when I met him was like, Loved film, mm-hmm. and then the next thing I know, he was in school for film, and he was making short films, and he's getting awards, and he's like doing it, you know, like yep. spending twenty eight hours straight editing and right. all the stuff, and yep. getting himself ready for that. And then like, um, you know, Bianca and and Michael uh, Align, like yeah. they've been working on on Zombinatrix for years, and like yep. just never stopping, right? Just never quitting, right? Yeah. And um, you know, I just I admire and you and you people like you, you know, like I admire. People who, you know, again, to draw back to the original question, like, if you want to be a filmmaker, man, like, if you're not the, like those three people and yeah. and many, many more, yeah. then you don't because right. it's hard, you know, because yeah. it's very hard. And you're right. It's like when I first was interested in film, my interest wasn't to produce. It was to direct. Right. And then, you know, 12 years later, yeah. I'm still, well, that's still what producing. You know that saying, life is what happens. What's that saying? Life is what happens when you prepare for something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Whatever. It's probably very meaningful. Yeah. It's probably on someone's wall. It's probably tattooed on somebody. Live life, love. Life is what happens when you're taking a shit. I don't know. Something I think like that's that. what it is. Something like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's a Georgia, old Georgia <laughs> yeah. proverb. It is. <laughs> My mama taught it to me. But it's even even like that. Like I remember, um, like on a hard drive, I found the old uh, rough assembly of the big toe. Uh, yeah. Oh, we didn't count that one. Did uh, we count that one? I don't know. If I don't did. know. I think we're like at twenty or twenty-one films. Something I can't like remember. That. But um, blackjack. You know, it was like it was like the it was an opportunity for me to direct. I hadn't directed anything other than really really dopey shorts. Yeah. You know, and um, and I before again I don't remember if you mentioned this on the podcast. So before the um, scary stories to tell in the dark movie came out many right. years earlier, I think twenty twelve ish or yeah. so. When I was first working at the collective under Gary, he was real big on like, like getting these properties, right? Yeah. So I took this initiative and I reached out to – I had to – through Twitter and like online stalking, I found the the son of the author. Nice. And I reached out to him through Twitter and he got back to me and he was like, oh, I'm not – you know, he's like, yeah, I got – you know, I've sold – but there's a publishing company that has the rights. Contact these people. Mm-hmm. So I contacted the publisher 
And uh, she was like, oh, that sounds really promising. And Because um, in my mind, I was like, this this is a perfect online digital series, right? Yeah. They're these short stories. You could do them. with Kind of in the same vein, like very inspired by VHS with bringing in different directors and what have you. Yeah. Kind of yeah. anthology style that like Creepshow is doing now. And um, But because I loved that book growing up and it kind of introduced me to horror, I thought this is something that's been sitting around for ages and no one's really done anything. And yeah. I think at one point they'd removed the art. So it really kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. And I've, eventually she got back to me. She's like, hey, I really love your idea. It sounds really cool. But we just sold the rights. Oh, shit. Uh, to Universal. Oh, well. Yeah. And I was like, that even happens. the digital rights? She's like, everything. Everything. And I was like, okay, cool. And then many years later, Guillermo del Toro produces Scary Stories to Tell the Dark. So if you didn't like that film, they should have given it to me. That's right. We would have made it great. What the hell? But, um... I did. I did direct a short, based like a, a very loosely based on the Big Toe, which I took the concept and I modernized it, and had yeah. a lot of flaws. You cannot. I don't want to say you can't make a film for five hundred bucks <laughs> if I spent that, but you're up against the wall. You didn't pay me anything. I didn't pay you anything. <laughs> you paid the ghoul, though. <laughs> yeah, excellently. <laughs> um, but you know, I saw it and it had its flaws. And it's one of those things that just never. It wasn't. It wasn't right to release. Okay, this is a perfect segue though, because. We always talk about how these things are a craft. Acting is a craft. Directing is a craft. Writing is a craft. And I'm, I'm, I guarantee you eight out of ten people who want to be quote-unquote filmmakers right now either want to be a director, writer, actor, or DP. So that being said, those are all crafts. Now, a craft is something that you craft over time. Absolutely. And you, you're not shat out of your mother's womb knowing how to do this. Nobody is. Very few people are Mozart. <laughs> exactly. So – so when people say hone your craft, man, don't worry about it because cause I look at stuff. I wrote a script, man, probably like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. If I read that now, it's shit. But just like you can't – if you're in college and you're writing a thesis, you can't go back to yourself in sixth grade and say, man, why wasn't I a good writer in sixth grade when I was writing about Mary Had a Little Lamb or whatever because right. it's a craft. And you you can't – you can watch all the Scorsese movies you want and all the Spielberg and all the Lucas. That doesn't mean that you're going to emulate. You're not going to be Hitchcock overnight, right? So what you have to do is you got to learn by trial and error. And and sometimes you get flash in the pan, but and sometimes it's sometimes stuff is pretty great, but that doesn't mean it's perfect and it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. Like make that thing and then mature as a person, mature as a filmmaker, understand by experience what you did wrong or what you would do differently, and then you'll do it better on your second time around. One of the things that, that sort of the brings comes to mind is uh, you you recently worked with um, John Favreau yeah. on The Mandalorian. Right. And, um, you know, John Favreau wrote Swingers, which is right. one of my favorite films, a huge inspiration for me as a filmmaker. Yeah. But he didn't direct it. Right, Doug right, Lyman right. directed it. Right. And they went to Doug Lyman to produce it. And he said, yeah, I'll produce it, uh, but I'm also directing it because you don't know shit about shit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is this is the director that eventually went on to be the director of Iron Man, the director of, um, you know, the Lion, Lion King, King remake, the yeah. all these films, you know, all these really technically, The Mandalorian, all these technically difficult films. This person who wasn't even able to write his direct his script, which is <laughs> mostly dialogue driven, right? Right. It's something that he had to learn over time. He had to put the work in. He had to do made. Yeah. And then from made, he got an opportunity with Elf, which is a big opportunity. Right. But you know, what I'm saying like it takes time, and yeah, um, you can. 
it's a double-edged sword because I, what I've done, I've honed a craft in producing right. over, over a decade now. Right under your tutelage and the tutelage of people like Effie Brown and even Gary and yep. you know Don Dunn, the Valley Fox. Like <laughs> I've had the I've had a we talked earlier about how there's like no overnight successes. Right. Like for me, I'm always very aware that my career has advanced extremely fast by traditional standards. Yeah. Right. Twelve years should maybe make me like a production supervisor. Right. In the old system. Yeah. Only in this newfangled digital age am I able to be like right. to go from a PA <laughs> who doesn't know what a day of days is <laughs> yeah. to an EIC and an executive producer and a producer and I producer et cetera et cetera et cetera. Right. So that's about as fast as it gets. Yeah. Twelve years in, right? And maybe of those twelve years, right. The last. Maybe four, I felt really confident. Mm-hmm. And certainly, like, in the last... Especially when I left the collective, Studio 71, like, really getting my confidence and feeling like, okay. Yeah. You know, I can start really taking bigger and bigger projects on. Yeah. Um, But but the craft of directing, which is what I initially wanted to do, something I haven't put as much time in. Because, like right. you said, you got to take those breaks to, to cultivate that. You Otherwise... You're just you're an amateur. Like yeah. you, it doesn't matter how long you're in film. If you're yeah. not putting that effort towards writing or directing or whatever it is that you want to do, yeah, then you're a novice at that. Exactly. I mean, you might be an advanced novice because you've got experience, right? But you're still a novice. Still a novice. I'm sure as much as I enjoy the incantation, right? There's probably a million flaws that you see in it that right. you would do differently. Yeah, and that's that's part of the growth process, which is great. Uh, yeah, 100%. So the two takeaways I have from this are do take time to do stuff for yourself, right? Like even if it's 10%, 20%. Right. Follow your dreams like because I'm telling you life will just pass you by and you'll be 30 years down the road and you'll be like, "Man, I never did anything of what I wanted to do." This is the this is like the analogy of the guy that works nine to five and gets the gold watch at the end. And and what does he ever? He sacrifices his whole life, his dreams, just to put food on the table, which again is hard to do. But you know, you can uh, you can make films relatively easy nowadays with all things considered. Yeah, yeah. So 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 do it. Like try it. I mean, just do some do some stuff. And, and even if it's not film, I don't know what your hobbies are, but. It doesn't necessarily have to be filmed. Do what you want to do. Do something for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was, um, you know, the the other thing I would add to that, and it's ironic because I have this shirt on that says, uh, stay humbled or be humble. Stay humble or be humbled. Yeah. And, you know, you're a guy who I've seen, who again, taught me. Hmm. I, I literally nothing. <laughs> right. And I've seen you sling tables for me as, yeah. a, as a basically a glorified PA. You yeah. Know? You, you're always willing to step in and drive a truck. Yeah. Because the last minute someone <laughs> misremembers that they said they would drive a truck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's that level of humbleness and willingness to learn and willingness to do whatever it is that needs to get done yep. that allows you and allows other people to see that and be yeah. drawn towards you mm-hmm. and want to work with you mm-hmm. and want to do projects with you and are willing to take that chance to be like, okay, I'll take less pay for this or whatever. Right. A lot of people in this industry, and you'll, and it's very it's a very addictive drug, right? Yeah. Especially when you go to the film schools and you go to the Chapman's or the Full Fell and the <laughs> AFIs yeah, right. and all these things that blow so much smoke yeah. of these directors' asses and yeah. these DPs' asses and these and all these people, right? Right. And and I'm not I'm not disparaging these institutions because they're it's pretty dope, man. Like I, 
There's a part of me that kind of wishes I could go. Like, I wish I could go now. Right. Like, as a professional, because I think I would have a blast. Yeah. Like, and if you're fortunate enough to be able to go to film school, cool. Yeah. Um, it's not going to – I don't know how prepared it really makes you for at least indies, but, like, yeah. it's a cool experience nevertheless. I'm not trying to take away from that. But I do – I've just – and you have worked with so many people who yeah. go through that process yeah. and they come out the other end believing that they're God's gift to filmmaking. Roger, yeah. Corm- or Roger Deacon Jr. and yeah, yeah. Wally Fisher Jr. and Steven yeah. Spielberg Jr. And yeah. the reality of it is, is that that level of arrogance is yeah. not going to serve you well in the long run. I'll tell you uh... – Back in the day when I would see resumes come across my desk, if it had film school on there, I would not take you <laughs> because in my mind, you were already molded in a specific way. You you had this ingrained that sort of an entitlement that I would rather have some guy off the street that worked at McDonald's who had no idea because he was going to – he or she was going to give me their best without any preconceived notion of what the film business was supposed to be. Or like a dude who worked in selling shoes. <laughs> or a dude selling shoes, exactly. And I, I would do that. I would be like, no, I don't want any – I don't want this kind of person for this kind of position. Um, so there you go. And and God knows how much they paid for that film school. Right. And it's, it's, it's always strikes me as – like I always get surprised when I know that like your business partner, Dan, mm-hmm. with Blue Falcon, Blue Falcon Productions, yeah. went to film school. Because yeah. he's like not that type of person. Yeah. So again, it's not yeah. not dogging on film school. It's if you get to go, it's cool. Like I'd love to sit around and, and learn theory and yeah. technical stuff. You know, I'm not right. I'm still not the most technically proficient person in the world. Right. But my point is is that uh, 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 not only is there like a um, a very unholy drive to keep coming back to do this constantly yeah. in spite of all the hardships that it provides. And not only is it about following a passion and being willing to sacrifice to meet that passion and to, to hone your craft, yep. but it's also a willingness to stay humble yeah. and to learn. You have to. And um, <clears throat> forever the student, never the master. Right. I mean, look, I, there, there you, I know very few people who really succeed in this business yeah. by being the type of people that think that everything, including schedule changes and budget things, and has to be run by them. Right. You know, like very few, very few people really last long. And if they do, it's always at this low level kind of position and then they just get embittered and it's just, it's an ugly sight to see, you know, those people who are willing, again, not to get abused, but just to be down for the cause, you know, coming out here to Georgia, like working in Atlanta, haven't been out to Georgia in two years and, um, have, you know, I've always been on the outskirts of, of Atlanta, you know, and other cities, but you see the difference. You mm. see the difference in the people who are like, "I'm I'm down to help. What do you yeah. need? Let me let me let me try to make it happen, right?" Yeah. I'll give some shout outs to Corey, our location manager. Yeah. What do you need? You need a ramp? You yeah. need this? You need that? Sure. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um. And there's other ones, right? There's lots of other people who are just like willing to like jump in feet first and prove. There's a when we worked on wireless, there was a, a young man named Brady. Mm-hmm. I didn't say young man. He was like in his early thirties. Mm-hmm. But like, dude was just willing to throw in and go all in. And you know how Dan is. Dan's not, I mean, Dan's a tough guy to, to sometimes work underneath. Like he has very high expectations, yeah. rightfully so. Yeah. And, you know, again, Brady worked his ass off. Was he flawless? No, of course not. He wasn't. But he worked his ass off and, you know, we had PAs that were like, I remember I had this discussion when I was starting in Los Angeles and, and Dan was starting to prep stuff in Utah 
and he was like, we had hired briefly before Brady came on this coordinator who was like, oh, I'm not paying PAs. I don't know what he wanted to pay PAs like more, higher than like LA rates. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I'm like, dude, I just don't have it. Like that's, and I can't justify it anyway. Yeah. Right. Like how I can't justify it my, to my, I mean, I'd rather fly a PA out from LA who knows something. <laughs> right. So we ended up getting a couple of PAs who were a lot greener, but they worked so hard. Yeah. yeah. And they were so awesome. That goes a long they, way. It was huge. And they learned and they yeah. made mistakes and they fixed them. And it was like a good attitude, yep. no entitlement, yeah. no, like no ego. It's just, it was awesome. And it was a fun time. Yep. You know, and that's the kind of energy that you need to bring constantly because yep. when you have those week or two weeks or three weeks before shooting and shit's falling out and things aren't going right and you're just stressed out and you, <laughs> you know, I was asked today, like, how'd you sleep? And I, like, I woke up three times last night, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you have all that cumulative stress building up, it's when you're working around people who have a good attitude, yeah. who are problem solvers. Who yeah. are there to make the project the best possible project? Even, even a film like Acceleration that was apparently only produced by one person. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> um, but even a film like that, which was like no budget, like I slept in a truck a couple nights. Like <laughs> hygiene goes out the window. You know, trying to get the pro- the one producer mm-hmm. to come to set, and stop making out with her boyfriend. You know, like instead, of, you know, when we're trying to film a scene. Um, like even projects like that, like you still should have that, like you should have some a sense of pride, not yeah. ego, pride in your work, right? Yeah. To make that the best possible version of a film that you could possibly make it, right? Because mm-hmm. someone might enjoy it, right? You know, and you never know. And if you don't bring that energy, then why do it? Because it's too hard. There's otherwise. so many other things you could be doing. Easier things and possibly make more money. Probably <laughs> make more money. Make more money. Yeah, for sure. Man, that's crazy. Old acceleration. Right. But, you know, so, uh, you know, we're waxing poetic about it again, but it's just every time we're on the, on the cusp of shooting again, it's always, you know, we, you, 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 I don't know if this was coined this way before, but you call the week before shooting hell week. Yep. And it is, it is, it's exhausting. Yeah. You know, everyone who knows me well enough knows like, okay, just, you're not going to hear from him for a bit. And it's at it's in those moments that you can really start to doubt like why am I even fucking dealing with all this? <laughs> and the reality of it is is because you love it. It's because you love it. And that's simply it, you know? Yeah, I mean the Hell Week thing goes back to the whole Roger Corman adage because if you are prepared, this is the last week you have to prepare anything before cameras start to roll. And uh, again, if you get through that first day, it means you were at least enough prepared to get through the first day, which means any any other 15, 20% of things you can get through, which is why Hell Week is so hard to do. Um, and that's what we're in right now. And that's what we're in right now. So <laughs> I don't know if that inspires you guys. I don't know if that depresses you guys. If it does both, then you're a good candidate for it, film. You're good. So, so we tip our we, – we take a shot of – of fine scotch in your honor those of you who want to get into this weird biz that we call show to the future filmmakers to the future filmmakers which apparently i am not one of well that depends man <laughs> the, the future you still got a couple good years in you yeah. kick those tires and see if we can get a few <laughs> few more miles down the road um but we thank you we thank you guys for listening and we thank you guys for following us and and i really can only hope to inspire and but also be realistic about what you're walking into because what my hopes are that one day someone comes up and says hey man i was listening to your podcast and 
listening to how you guys talk about film and listening to how you guys talk about your experiences in it, you know, and it really inspired me to make my short film. Check it out. And I don't even give a shit if it's good or bad. Yeah. Just the fact that you did it is pretty awesome. And that's what we need. I I saw this person on Twitter who was talking about a, a, a podcast. Yeah, you know, she's like, ah, what? She was making a joke about like how someone hasn't paid her to be a podcaster. I was like, do it, dude, yeah. just do it. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I don't know, there's so many. I'm like, who cares? The minute you do something, you've already weeded yourself out from ten, you know, other people that don't have the initiative to do it. You've already made yourself top of that list. The very first thing in Robert Rodriguez's first ten minute film school is. So you want to be a director? Go to the store, make some business cards, pass them out. Now you're a director. Exactly. And that's the first step. <laughs> that's right. So should we go to a fan question? Let's do it. All right. Questions from Macarette. What do you think of the current remake culture that seems to be plaguing Hollywood filmmakers? Have we run out of original ideas or is it just a quick cash grab? Oh, God. I will tell you that I hate remakes. Um, I hate the culture of remakes. Let me put it that way. Um, There's good and bad. It's good because it introduces a new generation to an intellectual property that they may not have known about, which is great. You know, it's the whole thing about this whole new generation of kids are now going to see Star Wars. Parents are taking their kids, blah, blah, blah. That's great. However, um, it is stale – and it feels like Hollywood's gone stale and there's lack of creativity. But it makes sense why they do it. I've, I've told this story on this podcast before about how I pitched a show at MGM uh, for Jim Packer. And he let me do my pitch and then he said, that's great, but we're not interested. Here's a book of 300 of our intellectual properties. Pick one. Pick one of those because we already own the rights to it and we, we, we don't have to go through any rigmarole. We have marketing behind it, blah, blah, blah. So that's why Hollywood does it. They want a safety net. So – I, and what's ironic is I don't think it's a safety net. Like yeah. how many of these remakes actually make money? <laughs> I don't know, man. It feels like – I don't know. I mean I, maybe – I'm sure some some amazing listener has some sort of pie graph that shows <laughs> the success and failure rates of remakes. But I don't imagine it's high. Yeah. Success rates, I mean. Yeah. Maybe the listener was high. I wish I was. <laughs> but I'm not in California, so I can't enjoy any of California's crop. Georgia has no crop. No legal crop anywhere. That's right. However, if you live in the Atlanta area and you'd like to help a brother out, I could use it for my stress medicinally. Exactly. So my short answer is I, I, I am abhorred by the remake culture, but I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I mean, look, here, here's my – again, I think this is something I've probably talked about before on the podcast as well. There's – there's just a simple economic reason. It's not that Hollywood has run out of fresh ideas. There are millions uh, of great, millions. fresh films that come out every day, every day, every year, every yeah. every season, right? Yeah. There's millions and millions and millions. I mean, fucking look at Parasite. We talked about it last episode. Like, yep. brilliant, yep. right? And not just the big, but a dark song we've reviewed. Uh, the Greasy Strangler we've talked about. Like, <laughs> right. There's a movie that I want to watch. With Elijah Wood called uh, "Come to Daddy," mm-hmm. you know, there's there's plenty of fresh ideas out there. Yeah. The problem is, is that the economics of filmmaking have turned upside down for a variety of reasons. Part yeah. of which is um, ticket prices. Yeah. I think part of which is um, the experience of going to watch in a theater has been diminished mm-hmm. by uh, you know capitalistic expansion of big box theater chains mm-hmm. versus mom and pop. You know, like when I was growing up in Corpus Christi, they had right across from my school a fourplex mm-hmm. 
which was pretty cool. And I saw like the Star Wars when they remember when the George Lucas did like the sort of um, the before he he made Greedo shoot first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, he sort of did the remastering. Oh yeah, yeah, like there was like you could still see stuff like that. And then when like the AMC or the Cinemark or whatever opened up. That became sort of an art house theater, and I saw like the groupier there and some other really cool films. And yeah, um, you know, there are very few Alamo Draft House, and even Alamo Draft House, like no, not to shit on that, but like, yeah, LA one is cool, but it's like it's a pale comparison. Super corporate, man. Yeah, it feels very corporate. It feels like a, it feels like the. Um, it feels like when when the first time I saw like Mark Jacobs roll out the grunge line, <laughs> yeah. you know, like when flannels started to become like one hundred fifty dollars a flannel oh, shirt, man. and it, it became couture. Like that's kind of what the Alamo Draft House in Los Angeles feels like. Again, I I, I love the Alamo Draft House, but yeah. it's also like yeah. I can't help but just be honest about my feelings. But like the New Beverly, right. for example, yeah. that Tarantino owns, yeah, which is only a couple blocks from my house. Like when I go to see that theater, mm-hmm. like. The seats are too small. Yeah, like it's crammed as fuck. There's nothing fancy about it. Yeah, but every the- every film is in glorious 35 millimeter. Yeah, and like they've got popcorn. Yeah, and they got soda, and that's yeah. really all I need, man. Like, yeah. to me, that's a theater experience, and you don't get right. that when you go to the AMC, no. Cinemark. You know, all those things. Like Arctic's not too bad, but like you just it. That magic has been lessened because of like the yeah. the, the, the sort of the homogenizing of theaters and then like don't even get me started on people's rudeness with their cell phones it's never enforced like what happened to ushers so between the rising ticket prices and the diminished experience and then you add to that the boom in technology with cell phones and ipads and you know all the streaming services accessibility you know when when hbo got into the high premium content game Mm -hmm. right and then showtime and then AMC, and then FX, and then Netflix, right? So then, like, this high, high quality, like, writing and directing and filmmaking yeah. was accessible at your home without the rude person on their cell phone, without the <laughs> right. kid crying, without the $18 ticket, without the $15 parking, without the $25 tub of popcorn. It it's the economics are people don't want to go to the movies yeah. unless they feel like they're getting a big experience. And what that tends to mean is either something that triggers a familiarity with themselves. Yeah. Right. I remember, I think at the top of the year, we talked about the, what defines the 2010s and it's this idea of like looking backwards. Yeah. Right. It's like trying to go back to the, the good old days that yeah. never existed, but you were kids. So you didn't know any better. Yeah. Or big explosions in CGI. Like, it's one of those two things, and, and that's where remakes fall into. Yeah. You know, that's why we're getting another Batman. Ugh. Another Batman. Ugh. Like, do we need a fucking another Batman? Do we yeah. no- need another Batman origin story? <laughs> nope. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be a bad film. It might be a great film. But, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to get excited about that because right. I've seen it so many times now. But that being said... I'm nearly 40, so the person who's nearly 30 might right. get super excited about it. And yeah. Hollywood knows that, and they'll yeah. just keep, you know, they'll keep making Ghostbusters. They'll keep making, yeah. uh, what was it? There's a, there's, a, oh, there's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre yep. remake again. Right. You know, we just had one with the Jessica Biel. Now there's a new one, right? Like, yeah. just, you know, just keep regurgitating because they're trying to figure out any way to compete in a sinking market. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's I, I know there'll be... 
film people out there who'll be like, oh no, you can never replace cinema. Cinema is sort of such an amazing experience. I mean, he is a masterful. You cannot do it. You know, you're not just a French guy. I guess. Is that a French accent? But, um, and dude, I love cinema more than anyone, man. I, I love going to movies, but the reality of it is, is that until they figure out a way with theaters to make it an affordable option and a positive experience. Yeah. They're going to be on the losing battle and they're going to have to, they're going to have to do whatever they need. Like, you know, when you're an MGM, your script idea might've been awesome. In right. fact, they wouldn't must have loved it. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah, but chitty, chitty, bang, bang, you know, exactly. or fucking, uh, the, James Bond 28. Yeah, exactly. Because at least, at least if you know nothing else about the film, right. If you know nothing else about the project, Yep. You you'll always remember <laughs> what it was like to see like the Dick Dick Van Dyke version, right? <laughs> right. You'll always remember what it was like to see uh the Nutty Professor, right? Or what yeah. whatever project they have, you know, ET, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. And so you'll go to if you're an, if you're now an adult who experienced as a kid and now has children, You'll want to share that because that's what you people do, I guess. Allegedly. <laughs> I only have children on set. You have real children, you tell me. Yeah. But um You'll be driven to that, and that's what they're banking on, and so they'll keep doing it. Yeah. But again, I have to reiterate: there are amazing, fresh, new, so innovative many. ideas all the time. It's the obligation of you, the film fan, to get out there and support indie film. Do if you're not supporting indie film, you can't complain about remakes because it's like voting, right? Like if you stay at home, then like you're influencing nothing. You can't make any changes from your couch. Those are, those are true <laughs> words I once read, and, and they, they echo very, very importantly through our current zeitgeist, right? Yeah. You have to vote. If you go see films that are sort of under the radar, indies, low budget, etc., and they're big successes, then guess what? You get more of them. You know what you're going to get more of? You're going to get more DC properties that take a serious slant on superhero films because – Joker was relatively inexpensive at like forty million. Yeah. It made a shit ton of money. It made like a billion dollars. Sure did. So, so you know what? They're gonna spend sixty million dollars on the Batman, and they're gonna cast um, James Patterson. Not James Patterson. What's his name? Who's the kid from Twilight? He's a real good actor. I, I hate to disparage him with the Twilight Pattinson? reference. James Ro- Ro- Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. Robert, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah. 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 So like, and and you'll get this grim, gritty, serious, dramatic version. You hope to replicate Joker, right? Yeah. Um. You know. I don't know how much money Parasite made. I never looked it up, but it won a lot of awards. Yeah. So you may get more of those. Won like, all the awards. Hollywood is a copycat culture. Mm-hmm. They're they're definitely followers. Yeah. So if you support original weird films like Tusk, then you'll get more of them, <laughs> and then you won't have to complain about remakes. It's true. That's my two cents. <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys. We're tired. Yeah. We've had a lot of scotch. Yeah. And tomorrow we film. Mm-hmm. So to all you who love film, to all of you who admire filmmakers, for those of you who have aspirations of being filmmakers, and for those of you who are em- embarking on your quest to be a filmmaker, or maybe you're 30 years in, I say cheers to you and once more into the breach, my friends. <laughs> once more into the breach. For Jude and Dave, this has been the Grand House Podcast. Adios. Peace. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Damn Fine Scotch Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud and now on Spotify.